Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Now, typically these first few pews are, are uh, filled with high school students, and they are on a retreat this weekend. And I want to thank you. In honor of them, you kept these pews empty so that you could remember them. <laughs> and I know they appreciate your prayers. They'll be back with us next Sunday. Uh, we started two Sundays ago a study of heaven I don't remember when I've gotten more feedback or emails, and I'm excited about what we're going to study today. But first, I have a little family business to take care of. You'll recall that we did not announce a 2005 church budget. At the end of 2004, the church's giving was not what we thought it ought to be. We weren't making our budget. We felt like if we made a budget based on 2004 giving, we'd be doing so much less than what we could do here at a church. And so we uh, started a series called The Journey to Generosity, and then later we shared our 2020 vision, and you have responded marvelously. The increase in giving in this church in the last two months is unlike any I've ever seen or even heard about, and I applaud you for it. So we went back then, and some of those things that we were not going to put in the 2005 budget, we put back in. We increased ministry spending in areas that we didn't think we could. If you'll look on your assembly program, you will see the new 2005 budget. Uh, It's $169,000 a week. That's about a 9% increase over the budget from last year. And we are absolutely persuaded if, if we will continue the giving that we've been doing the last two months, this is a very doable budget. So please pray about that. Now, this budget consists of three main components. A big part of this budget goes to personnel, secretaries, uh, ministers, missionaries, all the things that go with that. The second big part of this budget obviously goes to ministries. But a third part of this budget, over $1 million, goes for Vision 2020. Essentially, the money that in past years we have used for debt service is now going for new ministry initiatives. And I want to give you an update on some of the things. You remember we talked about ministry growth in four areas. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Things are happening in all four of those areas. And we want to keep you apprised. Because remember, Vision 2020 is not going to be funded by special contributions. But by your faithful, regular tithes and offerings. On the Judea front, we're making plans right now for our first church plant. We're well into those plans that we believe will launch our first new church in 2006. And I think by this summer we'll have some very important news to break on that. On the Samaria front, cross-cultural ministry, we continue to have great dialogue with different options there. One door God's opened for us is to take our upwards ministry into the inner city of Fort Worth through the Fortress Church where we can provide inner city children sports in a Christian environment And that's a door God opened that we hadn't thought of yet. So the Samaria ministry is prospering. But today especially, I want to make two announcements about Jerusalem and about the ends of the earth. Regarding Jerusalem, I'm announcing today we've just hired Melanie Blanks to be one of our youth ministers. She's going to work with our junior high program. Melanie's been an intern here. Most of you know her well. But more than that, you'll recall that we said when we built a youth center and all these teenagers started coming, we wanted to bring them to Christ. They come every Wednesday night, they share their prayer request, and they are dealing with a lot of painful things. And we feel like we need to give them more than just a moment's prayer. So Melanie and Ricky Lewis on our staff, youth staff, 
Both of them have master's degrees in counseling, have designed a cell program for teenagers. Teenagers that have particularly difficult problems, a place for them to come and talk and get Christian counsel. We've already had a trial run of a couple of cells. It's been very encouraging. We believe, and we're getting feedback, that this is going to grow so that counselors at schools in northeast Tarrant County are going to start telling their kids and families with troubled kids there's a place where they can get some help. So we're announcing that. That's starting. That's part of the Jerusalem vision. And then as a part of the ends of the earth vision, we said we want to be a church that inspires missions in other churches. So today we're announcing that we are beginning to pay the salary of Jim Reppert. Jim and Laura are members here. For 20 years, they were missionaries in Nairobi and Kenya. Now they work with Missions Resource Network. Jim is going to be the director of equipping. What Jim will do is basically take the missions model of a church like ours and try to replicate it in churches across the country. And Jim believes in 10 years he can inspire 100 churches to take it to the next level in missions and have 300 more missionaries on the field than are currently there now. And that's part of our ends of the earth ministry. All of these things are coming out of our regular weekly budget by your faithful giving. You have started a good journey, so let it go to completion. Now, thank you. A teacher got her Sunday school class together of little children and said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except one little boy. And she said, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, sure, but I thought you were getting up a group right now. And it, it raises the tension that we all live with. And that is, everybody here wants to go to heaven. But you're not sure you want to go today. Those of us who believe in heaven. And who believe that we are going to heaven. Exist in a certain state of tension. This is not a new thing. The Apostle Paul addresses it from a, a jail cell. As he writes to the Philippian church, not knowing whether or not he's going to be executed and wondering, do I really want to live or would it be better to go ahead and go home? He says, chapter one, if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. Now, I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live and sometimes I long to go and be with Christ. Now, that would be far better for me, but it's better for you that I live. On the one hand, our minds know there is still much to do for the cause of Christ. But on the other hand, our hearts know there's no place like home. And there's a part of us that's always longing to go home where we belong. You see, I put it this way. Belonging in heaven means living now with a holy sense of discontent. Or another way to put it is that Christians cope with spiritual homesickness. We live with desires that earth can make us thirst for, but never fully quench. We're like fish in an aquarium. We've all seen beautiful fish in a tiny little tank. And they can survive there. But they were created. For something more that they instinctively seek. 
There's a little fish down in South America the natives called four eyes because the creator designed this little fish with two sets of lenses in his eyes. He can float along the surface of the water. The lower lens has a water lens and can look into the world below and the upper lens has an air lens that can look into the world above. And so he can look into two worlds at one time. That's how we are. By faith, we can see another world. And we know our deepest desires will be continually frustrated until we live there. We are a displaced people. The Bible calls us pilgrims, aliens, strangers, nomads. We are campers. And sometimes it's hard to be happy campers, isn't it? Because the world gets hard. And when it gets hard, we have our own unique language that only Christians know. And you know what that language is? It's called groaning. And the Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 8 when Paul says, Even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. Groaning is a kind of speaking in tongues. Now, if you speak in tongues, you're supposed to have an interpreter. And we have one. The Bible says a couple of verses later, sometimes when we pray to God, we hurt so bad, we just groan. And the Holy Spirit is there to interpret for us to the Father. Now, let's be real clear about something. Groaning is not the same thing as griping. There is no gift of griping in the New Testament. But groaning is biblical language. It's the language of people who live with a constant longing for home. And let me share with you this morning four reasons why I long for home. The first one's going to shock you. But I call it a sobering contemplation of the reality of hell. Years ago, the well-known senator from Illinois, Everett Dirksen, was running for re-election. A young college student came up to him and said, Senator Dirksen, I would not vote for you if you were St. Peter. And the old senator responded, young man, if I was St. Peter, you could not vote for me because you would not be in my district. (laughs) Many people joke about hell, but the biblical teaching on the reality of hell is no laughing matter. Have you been to a funeral and somebody says, well, at least they will not have to suffer anymore. Well, if they rejected Christ, that's not true. Do not be deceived. Hell is a necessity demanded by the atonement. There's a lot of theological nonsense trying to seep into the church today, fostered by a liberal tolerance of what anybody wants to believe that dismisses the doctrine of hell. But if you believe what you sang a moment ago about the wonderful cross, then you have to understand that the Son of God 
hung on that cross. Because if he didn't take hell, we would. Now if the risen son of God is who he claimed. Then there is a heaven to embrace. And a hell to shun. Now is that my main motivation for wanting to go to heaven? No. But it is a biblical motivation and one that Jesus was willing to use. In Matthew chapter 10, for example, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. As I mentioned, this is not my chief motivation. But I have contemplated what Jesus says about hell. And I don't want to go there. For the unbeliever, this life is as close as they ever get to heaven. For me, this life is as close as I'll ever get to hell. And life can be hellish at times, can't it? And that leads right into the second motivation I have for home. And I call it a mounting frustration with the fallenness of the world. Because as I get older, I'm increasingly aware of how fallen the entire earth is. And again, Paul speaks to that in Romans chapter 8 when he writes, Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Twelve years ago, this very day, I got to do something I've never done before and never done since. I got to stand in a room and watch a baby born. Today is my son Matthew's birthday. Awesome experience. Maybe the most natural thing I've ever seen. Now someday, he and the rest of my family may have to witness my burial. And somebody may say, well that's just life. Death is just as natural as birth. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Birth is normal. It was designed by the Creator in a world before fallenness corrupted creation. Normal is no sickness. Normal is no crime. Normal is no pollution. Normal is no doctors and hospitals. Normal is no lawyers. Because you don't need them. Normal is no tears. Normal is no cemeteries. And the more I learn to live by the Holy Spirit, the more dissatisfied I become with abnormal. And that's one of the reasons God gave you the Holy Spirit. To make sure that holy discontent remains in your heart. So that you don't settle for what is pervasively 
abnormal. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.22 that he's identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment of everything he will give us. The Holy Spirit reminds us that this isn't normal. So much more is coming. And you know what else the Holy Spirit does in my life? He reminds me that I'm not normal yet either. I'm increasingly aware of how fallen I am. And how much yet I have to become. I find myself longing to be finally free from the pull of sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit is producing fruit in me. But I long for the day when it will be perfected. Do you understand who I will finally be when I get to heaven? Finally. My heart will love everybody effortlessly and my mind will only entertain thoughts that are good and pure and noble and my tongue will only speak words that are true and gracious and uplifting and until then I have to live in a world that is just too fallen to ever feel like home. Many of you know who Joni Erickson Tata is. As a 17-year-old teenager, she drove into a lake and in an accident there broke her neck. She became a paraplegic and must live in a wheelchair. All she can move is her face She has taught herself to paint by putting a paintbrush in her mouth and painting pictures to the glory of God. And she's given her testimony to God's goodness around the world. One of Joni's trials is that she can't feel what we take for granted. She can't feel pain or discomfort. That's not a blessing. If she punctures herself, if she falls and has an abrasion and her body is wounded, she can't tell. She's taught herself to feel rising blood pressure as a sign that something is wrong. And several times a week, her assistant must come in and strip her and roll her body around like a doll and look for wounds. A most humbling and even humiliating experience. And during one of those times, Joni just lashed out and said, I'm sick of this. Where can I go to get rid of this paralysis? And her assistant, Francie, said nothing, put Joni's clothes back on her, walked out of the room, and then stuck her head back in and said, Joni, I bet you can't wait for the resurrection, can you? And Joni started to cry because the Holy Spirit prompted her to remember scriptures she had stored in her heart like when we see him we shall be like he is what is sown corruptible will be raised incorruptible there is now for us an inheritance kept in heaven that will never fade or spoil
And through her tears, a smile came across her face, and she found herself saying out loud, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Fallenness is not normal. And neither is loneliness. And that's a third reason why I long for home. I call it a growing anticipation of an eternal reunion. You see, heavenly life will be communal life. I have to suppress a smile whenever I meet someone in town who says, I don't want to come to your church because it's too big and I don't like crowds. And I want to say, then what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Now, some of you are introverts, and I'm going to set you at ease right now. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. You are going to have your own room. And there will be times when we will let you go to your room and have your quiet time. But I'm telling you now, heaven is going to be a place of a perfect, intense fellowship. Because we were made for it. Even before fall, God said, it's not good for us to be alone. We were made for more than just God to fellowship with. Think for a moment about what the fellowship in heaven is going to be like. We're going to be reunited with loved ones that we missed, that we buried. We're going to meet people, great-grandparents, whose faith helped us get to heaven, even though we never met them. We're going to get to dialogue with heroes of faith. You're going to walk with Daniel, and I'm going to sit down with Paul and talk about preaching. We're going to, we're going to be together with people of different cultures, every tongue and tribe and nation of diverse ethnic groups since the creation of time are going to be together with all their diversity and we're going to celebrate Jesus together with all that distinction. And we're going to have reunions with acquaintances that we just barely met who blessed our lives. One email I got recently was from one of our members named John. John's a consultant. And so that means that he'll work only a few weeks at different places. And a while back, he spent 10 weeks at one place of business and met a fellow believer named Bob. And they enjoyed rich fellowship because they shared Jesus. They weren't from the same background of church. They saw a few things in the scriptures a little differently. But they, they celebrated the fact that they were one in Christ and could gather at the cross. And after 10 weeks, his consulting job was over. And John was looking for a chance to say to Bob how much he had enjoyed their brief friendship. But Bob beat him to the punch. Let me write what John wrote. On the last day we were together at the end of the day, I lingered to tell Bob how much our relationship in Jesus had meant to me. Bob simply beat me to the punch with words I'd never heard before or since. John, I don't know if I'll see you again short of heaven, Bob said. But if I don't, And somehow the Spirit tells me that I won't. I want you to remember something. When you get to heaven, come find my place. Now, I don't know how that works, but they must have a good address book. I don't expect to be the first or in the first thousand visits you make. But come find my place and we'll have a feast together. And I was speechless, reduced to tears. I could only hug him and promise to see him 
later. As soon as you get to heaven, you're going to realize you finally found the family you've always wanted. Recently, I, I saw a movie called Antoine Fisher. It's a true story about a young black man born in prison, his father dead, his mother abandoned him to an orphanage, a series of foster situations where every horrible and horrific thing that could happen to a boy happened. He joined the Navy filled with so much anger. But he spent time with a kind counselor who kept saying, Antoine, you need to find your family. I don't have a family. Yes, you do. And finally, at the end of the movie, Antoine decides to look for the family that doesn't even know he exists. And they connect. And I want you to watch a little clip from this movie where Antoine comes to meet the family that didn't even know he was alive until a day before. Because in a very, very small way, I think this might be what your first few moments in heaven will be like. Watch it with me.
come. Now, let me uh, make a, a quick disclaimer. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be old. That's a different sermon. There is going to be food. We'll talk about that too. But when I saw that scene, a scripture immediately popped into my mind where Jesus said in Matthew that many are going to come from all over the world and they're going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And you know the best thing about it is going to be to gaze into the eyes of the one at the head table. Because I think the main reason I long for home is what I call a rising elation at the thought of seeing God. Some of you have your children all grown and gone now. What do you want most? You want them back around your table, don't you? The father wants his children back at his table. You and I were made for extreme intimacy with God. Increasingly, we understand there's no relationship on earth that can fully satisfy our hearts. And yet, the greatest area of our holy discontent on earth is our longing for communion with God can never be completely fulfilled, can it? It's it's like I remember years ago when Nancy Kerrigan was training to go to the Olympics in figure skating. And they showed one of her practice sessions and she was doing her beautiful jumps and spins. And at the side of the rink there was an older woman and her face was this close to a TV. It was Nancy's mother, Brenda. Blind since she was 31. And they asked Brenda, what can you see? She said, I can make out a form. I can make out some of the movement. But then she began to cry. She said, I can't see her face. I can't see my daughter's face. That's the discontent that you should feel. It's the main reason why there's no place like home. Because John says in Revelation 22, No longer will anything be cursed. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. We won't have to look in a mirror dimly anymore. Someday we're going to look into the eyes of God and we're not going to be afraid when we do it and we're not going to feel ashamed when we do it. And just one gaze in His face will forever remove the possibility of boredom or sorrow or despair. And you know what I think? I think God gives us glimpses of invisible wonders to help us go home. I'm going to say something that's going to make a few of you uncomfortable, but it's going to also bring comfort to many of you 
who have kept a secret in your heart for years and you don't have to keep it secret anymore. There's a lot of people here who stood beside the bed of someone you love about to die. And just before they died, they spoke of things they saw. And maybe you were afraid to repeat what they said because people would say, that's just the medicine, that's just delirium. No, it wasn't. I've been there too. I've heard it too many times. Just this week, I got an email from one of our sisters, wonderful, godly woman. She and her husband served God for years. And as he was dying of cancer, two days before he died, he told his wife, I'm living in two realities. And he said, I am now allowed to tell you there are others here in this room. And the day he died, he looked up just an hour or two before. He said, am I special? And she said, why do you ask? And he said, that I should be allowed to see all this. Could it be God's way of encouraging us to come home? How strong is that tension in your spirit? I've asked the praise team to sing a song over us. And here's what I'd like you to do for a second. I'd like you to close your eyes, all of you. Just close your eyes. And as they sing, listen and think about home. Take me home.
heard a story of a little boy out on a dock with his old grandpa asking questions only little boys can ask, like why is water wet? Why do girls not like worms? And then he said, Grandpa, does anybody ever see God? And the old man paused and finally said, Son, it's getting to where I hardly see anything else. Elders and ministers are going to be in room 109 to pray with you today. And I'm going to be down front to receive people who are ready to say Jesus is the Son of God. He went to the cross for me so I could go to heaven and not go to hell by paying the price for my sins. You're ready to confess Him and be baptized and start your journey to heaven. And we're going to encourage you by singing a song while we stand up now.